Hello there, everybody, and welcome to the Talking City Podcast. My name is Dan Murphy, and this is brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. Screwed up my intro already, that's not a good start. But also with us today, of course, is Mr. Joe Bray. Joe, how's it going? I'm not bad, thank you. See, this is why we, we normally record in the morning, isn't it? It's, mm. it's afternoon, we're, we're, we're tired, we're making mistakes already. Mm-hmm, exactly, we need to be sharp, early morning. Um, <laughs> you know, you're fresh, you're coming straight off a night's sleep, right into the action. But yeah, we are coming a bit later later on in Friday. But that does help that we have at least have, have you've been to Pep Guardiola's press conference earlier this afternoon. So we'll dissect what the uh, the city boss had to say a little further on, or what he didn't have to say, as is often the case. <laughs> but we'll get to that further on because, as everyone well knows, there was a match this midweek, and it wasn't the Champions League for a change. It was, of course, the start of the Carabao Cup as City kind of begin uh, their quest to win back the trophy that they lost after a four-year winning streak of it last season. And they had a very tricky start, um, especially compared to what they're usually used to in this competition. And they had to play Chelsea, but they overcame them in a 2-0 win. It was a competitive first half. Um, I thought City kind of had a stronger side than Chelsea. Chelsea played a lot of kids, but it was competitive from both sides. City, of course, also played kids as well, Rico Lewis and Cole Palmer, but we know their quality and it was pretty much the same side that faced Sevilla the week previous, apart from Rodri coming into the starting eleven for Phil Foden, I believe. And um, yeah, it was a competitive game. Lewis Hall, really unlucky not to score in the first half um, due to the brilliance of, and in the second half of that matter, due to the brilliance of Stefan Ortega, which we will get on to. And in the second half, City, as they are wont to do, kind of took control of the matter and win 2-0. Riyad Mahrez, a stunning free kick, and then Julian Alvarez, Hot streak continuing, um, kind of setting the goal in motion and finishing it off. Joe, you were there. What what did what do you think of the game? I thought from City it was another kind of not the best performance, but to me it just came senses of everyone trying to get over this finish line now before the World Cup, get it out of the way, and then see where everyone where everyone stands back when we return in the end of December. Yeah, you could. I think City were happy to win, but also if they'd lost, they wouldn't have been too disappointed just because, you know, the World Cup's coming up. The next round is could be two days after the World Cup final. It just adds another fixture. And then in January, it's another three fixtures if they, if they get that far. Um, so I think both sides approached it by thinking, let's try and win, but also let's not field the the strongest side City had Kevin De Bruyne and, and Erling Haaland who didn't even warm up for the game for example so it was um, it was a mixture of an opportunity for fringe players and youth players to make a statement but also resting those players who who uh, probably are going to be needed for for Brentford and also who might have one eye on that World Cup so there was no need to risk Haaland for example um, I completely understand why he didn't even think about coming on um, but like you said, it was a, almost the same side that faced Sevilla. Um, it was the same side that started the second half because Rodri came on and that's when City looked far better against Sevilla. Um, there was a bit of a difference in shape. So against Sevilla, you had the fullbacks, Gomez and Lewis were coming inside to create sort of a, a holding midfield three, if you like. This time, the tactic was very much get those fullbacks up and down the flank and it, it probably suited their game better. Both of them a bit less experienced and um, having them just running up and down each flank gave them probably a bit more confidence just to do what they were doing and, and just play as a traditional fullback, if you like. And, and in turn, that gave players like Jack Grealish a bit more space on the inside. The shape was just a lot better than it was 
against Sevilla. Um, and yeah, Grealish played very, very well, I thought. Um, sort of the shackles were taken off. He It seemed like he was allowed to shoot where he said so so often in the past where um, if he gets the ball, he's more bothered about keeping possession and playing the right tactical pass and creating the overloads this time. He was running at his defender. He was It was Ruben Loftus-Cheek at, at sort of a wing-back for, for Chelsea. So there was an opportunity to run at him there. He did that. He created some chances, desperately unlucky not to score, a mixture of good saves, good tackles and just bad luck, I think, prevented him from, from getting on the score sheet. And then Alvarez had a lot more space. If you compare it to that, first half against Sevilla, he had Cole Palmer and, and Phil Foden in the, exactly the same space as he was trying to do stuff. He he was on his own then and, and he was a lot better for it. There were a few crosses in the box. Gomez and Lewis put quite a few low crosses along the six-yard box and you thought Erling Haaland would absolutely snap them up. If Haaland was playing, I think he would have had a hat-trick in the first half just because of the balls that were going in. But City changed it, they, they adapted and uh, I think they worked hard to get the goals. Um, but then, yeah, Chelsea had some good chances. City were playing better in the first half, but Chelsea had the better chances. Ortega played really, really well. Um, some really good saves to keep City level and then keep them ahead when they went ahead. Um, I think you would say City deserved to win, but on the balance of the chances, um, I think Tyrone, who was there as well, pointed out that Chelsea had almost two expected goals in the game, which shows you how, how well... Um, Stefan Ortega did. You mentioned that that save in the first half from uh, Lewis Hall. He had I was behind it. He had the whole of the right side of the goal to aim for, and he went near post instead. But it's still a good save from Ortega. Second half, another good good chance saved by Ortega. So um, I think City will be quite pleased to have got through. It was quite a competitive game, um, given that both teams made changes. It was quite an even matchup. So. Um, it was one of them. Guardiola was never going to throw away the game. He loves the Carabao Cup. Um, if City go on to win it, they'll be very happy. Um, I think they'll just deal with that next round when they come to it. But no, it was, a, it was quite an entertaining game and it, it continued the trend of teams coming to the Etihad, having to go, giving City some problems in defence as well, which we always like to see. Yeah, absolutely. It was certainly an entertaining game. A bit more than I actually thought at one point, Chelsea have not mm. been in the best run of form at the minute. They've looked, Especially going forward, they've looked really blunt. Um, but I thought, as you say, the kind of Lewis Hall, again, he was the st- kind of standout player on the pitch from their perspective. He was really good. And we'll talk about kind of Ortega's great evening um, a bit further on. But I think the best way to start is Julian Alvarez. We kind of spoke earlier this week about how this game probably uh, is another good chance for him to show, keep his kind of hot streak going. And his, he still hasn't had the game where he plays alongside kind of De Bruyne and maybe Haaland for the full length of the match without any caveats. But in this game, he did have, you know, against a tough defence in kind of Koulibaly was playing. There was good defenders in that Chelsea team. Um, Chalabar as well, of course, who is a very good player. And even though he wasn't in the best City team, he still shone, I thought. I say three games in succession now, he's now scored. He is kind of, after a bit of a lull period where he wasn't scoring as much after that Forest game, he really has kind of stepped up now when he's been needed to as well. You know, Haaland's been in and out of the side. Alvarez has stepped up and scored in his absence, which is a great sign. And then we've seen something out of him that we we made, didn't think he actually had in his locker, which was the amazing kind of crossfield pass straight into Maris's path, which then led to his goal when Maris's shot was saved and straight into his path. So another really promising display for Alvarez, probably perhaps the best yet, I'd say. Yeah, I was uh, pleasantly surprised with um, with Alvarez and I said last week he seems to sort of take a few steps forward and then back, but the backward steps aren't 
anything that he's doing wrong. It's just a matter of circumstance. But again, Harl doesn't fit enough to start or even come off the bench. So Alvarez played. That's three goals in in um, three games plus two assists. So he's he's, he's doing really well. And he's taking that chance, and the team is now set up to attack. It's not like the Copenhagen and the Dortmund games where it was and the Leicester game where there was just no supply to him. He's got the supply, he's got the freedom. I think the players are starting to trust him and, and now we're seeing the results of, of what he can do and, and his goals are good strike goals. We've, we've seen him sort of run on the shoulder of the defence around the keeper, finish well and yeah, the goal against Chelsea, like you say, was um, a fantastic ball across to Mahrez. I think everyone saw the run but wasn't expecting the the level of the of quality of the ball that he sent across. And we know Mahrez's first touch is, is ridiculous. It, it always amazes me when when a ball does go over to Mahrez, there's like a, a, a noise of anticipation of, is he going to control the first time? And he inevitably does. And then it's it's sort of an event in itself, Mahrez's first touch. Um, so, yeah, that's... Yeah, Mahrez, I thought it was a cross, but yeah, in the replay clearly showed it, it was a shot. But Alvarez has done really well to then run in the box and, and anticipate that and, and finish well. And, and he's he's won the game, that, that really important second goal. And now I, I think even if, if Haaland is possibly available to come back, I think on form, it's the first time Guardiola's had a real tricky decision to take over who he starts up front because you can't really drop Alvarez in the form he's playing. and, and the system City are playing in without Haaland, but then you can, if Haaland is available to play, you play him because he's, he's going to score a goal. So, I'd, yeah, I'm not sure um, what what Guardiola will do against Brentford, but it shows, I think, credit to Alvarez for, for making that decision for him. And, and Guardiola said after the game, didn't he, that they can play yeah. together in future. So maybe that's a solution going forward. I think, annoyingly, I think the World Cup's coming at a bad time for him because he's just playing these games, these, these four games in a row. And then he's going to have six weeks off and Haaland's probably going to be fit and firing and, and had a break before that. So you would expect Haaland to be number one again uh, after Christmas, but Alvarez on form at the moment and then might have a, a very good World Cup ahead of him. Mm. Who knows what can happen? It's uh, both well for second half of the season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as you say, he has made the World Cup squad more on um, those squads later, mm-hmm. but you, you never know. It's, I'd had to see him been immediate first choice all the time. I know he's played a lot for Argentina, but when you look at Lissandro Martinez, Lionel Messi, obviously, Paolo Dybala, Angel Di Maria, that's a lot, a lot of talent to get in the head of. So, But I imagine he will play a significant part of Argentina's World Cup, one of the favourites to win it, no doubt, as well. So you never know. If he goes and has a really good tournament, comes back absolutely buzzing, there's nothing saying he can't remain in the team, as you say. And, and you know, we'll talk more on Brentford later on, but, you know, as you said there, Guardiola did say they could play together. He had no doubt about it, both good players. But how, if he does go for that, how do you think he will do it? Will it be Alvarez out wide or will it be this more kind of weird 4-4-1-1, 4-4-2 sort of formation we've seen a few times and it had a great results against Forest, but I'm not sure if it's the best formation for City cause, just because of that kind of sacrifice you have to obviously make in the centre of the pitch. Yeah, I quite like him sort of behind the striker. We've seen him in that sort of not number ten goal, but it's yeah. I think Alves is quite useful in that sort of pocket behind the striker, and he makes a lot of runs and sort of unselfish runs. Um, so it's I think that could be an option. I think yeah, I don't think they're going to play sort of a a little and large combination like I don't know Peter Crouch and Michael Owen, but I, I think they will sort of play off each other rather than sort of next to each other. We, we've not really seen him out wide. I think. 
maybe against Forest, he, he ventured out there. I don't think he started the game out wide. Um, so I think he sees himself and Guardiola sees himself uh, sees him as a sort of central player, um, which is good because City have lacked those players in, in the past. It's good to have two options there. Um, I, I, I think he'll start against Brentford. I don't think the Haaland risk is worth taking. And, and when Alves is in such good form and he's he's fitting into that system well, I don't think they will they will rest him. Uh, they will risk Haaland rather, um, and if he can come off the bench like he and make an impact like that, that might be the best way to use Haaland rather than play him, get him injured for another few weeks, and and then I don't I don't want another month or so of, of is Haaland fit or not because we've had that last month and uh, I don't think I can handle that even though he's not going to the World Cup. Um, I think the best thing for City will be to keep him fit over the, these few weeks. I know he's going away with Norway. I think. Their manager said, hopefully, he can play one of the two games. Um, but it would be it would be very typical if he, he was to get injured there, especially given that they don't have to play those games. City don't have to release him because um, it's not an official FIFA window. So um, that could be a one to look out for in the next couple of weeks. But no, Guardiola was saying he's probably going to go to Marbella, um, then he'll go to Norway, and then he'll he'll come back and train. And if he can just have these few weeks to completely get over this injury, I think that'll be the best for City and uh, there's no need I don't think to to rush him back against Brentford because City should win without him anyway mm-hmm. Yeah, fingers crossed he gets you know the, this week month coming up now, six weeks so perfect for him to get back to full fitness, we will touch on Brentford in a bit more detail later on but kind of turning back to the Chelsea game and the other kind of new signing who had a really surprisingly great performance is Stefan Ortega Moreno now, I have been impressed with him in the appearances he has had so far. Um, the game he played against Sevilla, of course, was when he came out and had that worrying chest control. Like, you know, <laughs> with Edison, you'd be usually be like, ah, he's got it. But with any other keeper, usually um, that heart and mouth moment that he's going to lose the ball four yards out of his goal. But in Edison-esque fashion, he controlled it beautifully and played a ball to Foden that started a, a really good move. And against Chelsea, he kind of showed the other side of his game that's so important for a goalkeeper, which is, of course, stopping the ball going into the net. We've kind of touched him on already, but two standout saves, both from Lewis Hall. The first half one was good, but the second half one, as the um, game was coming to a close and Chelsea were trying to push for a way back into it, like Lewis Hall, poor lad, as I've said numerous times, he was brilliant in that match, really kind of fearlessness on the ball, really direct and taking it, taking on City midfielders like they're not the um, world-class players they are. But he should have scored that second one and he'll be no doubt kicking himself still today. Um, it's one of those strikes when it falls that you think you're automatically thinking it's a goal. So when it didn't go in, when Ortega sprung across to keep it out, it was a really it was a good height for him, um, absolutely. But to get from basically one post to the other to save it was a brilliant feat of agility. And I'm not saying he's better than Edison or anything like that, but he's I think it's certainly a good case to say that he's really good competition. I think he's a level of competition to Edison that Zach Steffen never was. He's got both aspects of his game clearly nailed down to a pretty high standard. And if Edison, maybe it would be a good thing to keep Edison on his toes or, and whatnot. But I think it's a real um, real stiff competition for him now, which he hasn't had since he came to see. Yeah, it's a tricky one. We've only had, what, three games to see him and it was a very, very good performance against Chelsea and I think it was eight eight saves possibly he made. I could be making that up, but the, it, the saves he made were sort of significant and uh, they weren't sort of routine ones. He did have to sort of really show off his, his shot-stopping ability and um, 
our, our colleague Tyrone spoke to him and said, what does Pep want from you? And he said, um, not that much. It's more about shot stopping, crosses, finding the right position. Uh, to play football is inside of me and the other keepers. It's more important to train in the positioning process and shooting. So as a second choice keeper, his job isn't to do what Edison does and, and play 50-yard passes or keep the possession at the back. Sissy do adapt the game when he plays and there wasn't much sort of close-range passing under pressure. Um, there was, it did feel like there was more sort of just long balls up and, and try and win the second balls. But if he can stop those shots, then, yeah, as you say, as the second-choice keeper, he is a very good option. Um, it's, it's weird with Stefan because I always thought he was quite good. Um, always thought he played quite well. And then to, towards the end of the season, he made some just high-profile mistakes, the FA Cup semi-final, and it just seems to tail off with him. And um, I mean, he, he's taken the gamble to go out on loan to get a World Cup place and ultimately hasn't made the USA squad. So he's now stuck in Middlesbrough for a year and hasn't got the World Cup place that he wants. So what's going through his mind, I don't know. But yeah, Edison, um, Ortega looks to be very good. Um, if he plays anywhere near the level he played on on Wednesday night next time he's called upon then he will be um, a very good option and he could be needed I mean he probably will play the um, the the next round in the Carabao Cup against Liverpool because it's a Carabao Cup game but um, say everyone's tipping Brazil to get to the the World Cup final if Edison comes back late um, I'm not sure he's going to play that much because Alisson does seem to be number one for Brazil, but um, he could get some games over Christmas. And um, yeah, I think it was encouraging from him. I, I wouldn't go far, as far as say he's, you know, the best second choice keeper in the league yet or or anything like that. Um, but I think he could be by the end of the season if we see more of him. I think he, he's on the way and the fans absolutely loved him. They were singing his name um, and you don't often get that for for second choice keepers, do you? That they've got, got chance and stuff already. So it seems like he's he's well liked in the dressing room. He's been a good good addition, and he's a free transfer. And you can't really ask more for from a free tra free transfer than than a performance like that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Guardiola was full of praise for him as well, and you know, someone else he was full of praise for, as you've already touched on, was Jack Grealish. You know, we've spoken a lot about him. It's been an eternal debate this season, <laughs> but as you say, um, I wonder if we want to touch a little bit more on his display because. You know, Guardiola named him the best player on the pitch by some distance. And he, he, as you say, he was really exciting again. That kind of the glimpse at the, the Villa man that we've kind of longed for for so, for so long now. Is this another kind of start of him really discovering himself? Or is it a case of it was a League Cup? He didn't really, Guardiola wasn't as bothered. So he just let him do what he mm -hmm. wanted. I don't know. I, I doubt it's ever that simple with Guardiola, but it kind of felt like, ah, you know the 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 as you said earlier, the shackles are off a little bit. Going to have fun if we yeah we, we want to get through, of course. But if we don't, it's not going to be the end of the world. Well, it was it it was a bit weird what Guardiola said afterwards. He was saying this is what we've wanted him to do. We've we've told him to shoot and we've told him to to create those scoring opportunities. And he definitely, that was definitely an instruction for him. He was allowed to do that because he hasn't been doing that previously. He was taking shots when there were easier passes on, when countless times this season he's sort of checked back and played in the winger. Um, he was even playing sort of the risky passes between the defenders rather than the simple pass be, like in front of them. Um, no, I, I thought he was really, really good and he should have had maybe one or two goals and it wasn't his fault that he didn't. It was just unlucky, as, as I said before. Um, but yeah, Guardiola was saying... We've, want, we've wanted him to do this, yet everything we've heard previously is the importance of Guardiola and Grealish saying that the instructions are keep possession, um, create an overload, attract players, attract the fouls, and then 
let the other attacking players do what they can do and give them space, which isn't a bad tactic. And I, I think if we if we had access to what Guardiola told his players every game, I would imagine Grealish ticks every single box every single game. But because he's not having those shooting opportunities and he's not getting involved in sort of the end of moves, then it's not noticed and people are sort of criticising him and saying that he's not doing well and comparing him to Miguel Almiron and all this sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, yeah, uh, Wednesday was, it felt like a, a step forward. And if Guardiola does want him to do that from now on, then that could be a real um, a real sort of new weapon in, in City's armoury. And I think it could be a real good timing for him to do that before the World Cup because England maybe lack a player like that and if if in, I mean we'll, we'll talk about the World Cup, but if England rely on the defence, I don't think they're going to do very well. If I think they've just got to go on attack and and Grealish, if he plays like that, can be someone who causes problems in in a tournament in a World Cup. And um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how he does against Brentford if he's given the same role and responsibility. Um, who knows who else is playing up front? But if he's if he's given that same sort of freedom, I think it could be the sort of time that the floodgates open because you get the feeling that once he gets one and if he continues playing like that then surely more will follow absolutely you know one player we were unsure we'd see again um this side of uh the new year was Sergio Gomez he started um did he go away about kind of redeeming himself for his um mistakes of the last couple of games and you know Rico Lewis I predicted this one right Lewis did come mm-hmm. back into the start in 11. How, how did he do on his second start? Not as much fanfare this time around, of course, because he didn't score and it, you know, he wasn't the star of the show. But how, how was his performance? A, a good sequel to the, uh, the great opener? I think the biggest compliment you can give Lewis is that you barely noticed him. He just did his job, did it well. Um, the, he, I think he went down with cramp towards the end, which shows he's, he's given everything again. Um, yeah, on his second start to play against Chelsea, and he was up against was it um, Hakim Hakim Ziyech or um, Pulisic as well. Like they're good players, and you would think that they would target a young seventeen-year-old, but he, he held his own. And um, yeah, like I said before, his his job was a bit more straightforward this time, um, probably to go up against a better opposition. But it was literally just get up and down that that right flank and and put some balls in. There were a couple of crosses that he put in that looked okay but didn't find a, a target and you could see Guardiola sort of in two minds like you can't have a go at him too much so he, he sort of applauded him but maybe he wanted a bit of a, a better ball into the box but no it's a, I mean it's his second start you can't really complain too much and yeah he, he played as well as you would expect anyone anyone in that squad to do and didn't stand out negatively at all which is got to be a positive for for a young 17-year-old right back. And I think Guardiola name-checked him in his press conference saying he's one of the senior players that we will have. He wasn't going to the World Cup. So he's definitely thought of as a senior player. At the start of the season, it was Josh Wilson-Esbrand who was sort of, that's the top academy player, if you like. He was back in the um, EFL trophy side on Tuesday at Grimsby losing on penalties. So he seems to have dropped out a little bit, maybe because the left-back is an area that's got a bit more depth. Um, but now Lewis seems to have definitely taken a lot of steps forward this season and, and made it sort of impossible for, for Guardiola to ignore. And yeah, we, uh, Sergio Gomez on the other side, probably his best game, I would suggest, for City. Um, again, just up and down the left flank, so a little bit easier, not so much um, inverting inside, which might have been his downfall for the last couple of games. Um, a few crosses into the box, just a shame Erling Haaland wasn't there. Um, but no, I think 
I wasn't expecting him to play just because I don't think he's played well the last couple of times he has done. And it seems like Guardiola's been a bit annoyed at him, but Jao Cancelo's suspension gave him that opportunity. I think he's taken it quite well. And yeah, he's he's probably played his way back into a little bit of contention. And if he can use the training camp in Abu Dhabi in these few weeks when, when the World Cup isn't going on, if he can use that to actually work closer with Guardiola, it could be actually a really good thing for him that... He's not going to the World Cup. Not that I think he was close to the Spain squad, but if he's now got this chance, could then play against Liverpool in, in the Carabao Cup. Yeah, maybe he's, uh, he's been given a chance to, to come back into the fold a bit. Yeah, certainly good news for Gomez. You actually just reminded me there when you talk about <laughs> Joshua Wilson as brand. A little tangent that I feel like we should mention, of course, is that the uh, under-21 Manchester derby was last week and what a game it was for City. Joshua Wilson as brand did play in that match and I think... You're right in why he has kind of been demoted a little bit. He was probably, I don't want to you know, bully anyone or anything like that, but he's probably City's worst player. Not that he was particularly bad, but the rest of them were very good. And he, you can just tell him a few sloppy mistakes that a player who's been so senior, been around the first team for so long, probably shouldn't be making, but still young, of course, still loads of time to develop. But, you know, there's so much excitement coming through that youth team. I was there at least Sports Village, and it was quite a competitive game for the first half. It was, at the break, it was 1-1. Both teams really going at it um, quite well. United had a strong side out with the likes of Zidane Iqbal playing and Charlie Savage and uh, Charlie McNeil. Um, Kobe Maynard as well, who's another really up-and-coming player um, over on the red side of Manchester. City had, uh, you know, likewise, a really strong team. Uh, Diane Mabuda and Carlos Borges um, both starting in the attacking three and they were the stars of the show. At the second half, it was... it was it, the City won 6-1, uh, of course, an iconic scoreline in the fixture, <laughs> but it was um, it was a strange game because the second half, I'd say United were even the better side for the first fifteen minutes. It lashed it down in Lee, of course, um, which made the the kind of overall quality of the game a bit poorer. But Charlie McNeil had a couple of great chances for United, and then City just three or four times in quick succession just hit United so quick, so devastatingly in, on the counter attack that. The United had no response. Mabudi and Borges. Borges scored four goals and an assist, even though all, even though the stadium PA and every uh, live score aggregator you could find was saying Oscar Bob had scored the goals. That was not the case. Um, mm -hmm. It was four for Carlos Borges, one for Mabude. He looks really good. He, and um, another for Will Dixon, who I confess I didn't know much more about. I think he's just been promoted from the under-18s. But Mabudi and Borges are two who are really... Really looking really good this year. They've, I think Mabudi has um, a fair few goals to his record. I, I saw him um, in a game against Leicester early in the season. He came on and kind of changed the game and got two, I think, honestly. Um, so, and then Borges, I say, I think he's now scored three hat tricks this season. Um, one against a senior derby side in the EFL Trophy, and I think another against Sevilla in the Youth Cup. So he's having a great season as well after kind of really staking his claim in the EDS this year. A lot of a lot of um exciting players coming through that academy. You know, Rico Lewis is 17 and into the first team. I know there's a lot more competition for places further up the city field, of course, in those attacking areas. But Borges and Mabudi are two who will definitely be pushing, um, if not to get into the first team or be on the bench for a few games, as we as we'll get to the first weeks after the World Cup will be very interesting, especially the Carabao Cup match. But um, maybe going out and loan and whatnot, they've certainly been impressive. I don't know if you managed to catch any of the highlights from the Derby, Joe, but um, some result. Yeah, and I, I think it was before the Fulham game, wasn't it? So that result was read out at half time, and there was a massive cheer 
at the Etihad, as you would expect for a 6-1 win away at United. But no, I think I wasn't surprised at all because the players that you mentioned who had a good game have been playing well all season and, and Borges looks a ridiculous talent. I think he was good for the under-18s last year and he's he stepped up and he seems unstoppable. I don't think anyone can handle his pace, but he's a really good finisher as well. Um, works well with Mabude on the other side. who um, sort of goes under the radar with Borges doing so well. Um, and then you got sort of classy players like Oscar Bob and, and Shea Charles and and they're sort of experienced in the under-23s now. So, um, no, I think it's a it's a really good formation, a combination at the top of the pitch. And uh, even Will Dixon up front, I, I sort of, he never stood out in the first couple of times I've sort of seen him this season, but he, he'll always chip away with a goal. And uh, he's a sort of a big, big player, a bit more of a target man, but he's good with his feet and uh, seems to have a sort of a natural instinct to get some goals. And uh, I noticed he pulled out a, a, a certain Cristiano Ronaldo celebration, as did uh, Carlos Borges. So now there's a lot of confidence. It's it's just a shame that a few days later they went to Grimsby in the, in the EFL Trophy winner of the two got through to uh, the knockout stages, went to penalties and Grimsby came out on top. So that's one less opportunity in the new year, but they're through in the, uh, in the youth league. So I think that resumes in February or March and uh, doing all right in the, in the Premier League two FA youth cup will start as well. So it could still be a, a very good season for the academy. And it looks like even though a lot of players moved on out on loan, out, out of the club promoted to the, the first team, They've still got a really good, really good intake this year. Um, who are looking to to do their own thing and and do as well, if not better, than previous years have done. So now it's, it's looking good in the academy this year. It really is, and the um, as I say, the conveyor belt keeps uh, churning out more really exciting players, and some of them may well get a chance in the first team after the World Cup, because uh, City's reward for getting through the tricky, the trickiest ever first um, round at Carabao Cup match for them was. A home match against Liverpool, of course. Um, uh, the holders of the trophy after beating uh, Chelsea in the final last year. And um, been the bogey tied for City this year already. The only team they've lost to in the, um, at all. And, of course, they lost to him in the Community Shield as well. So that'll certainly make for an intriguing tie. But it's very unlikely to be much of any of the first team, as we kind of discussed before the episode. It'll likely be Salah and Mane, and then leading both teams, and then a load of kids, because absolutely preposterously, um, talking about it to the mates in the pub, and they couldn't believe that the match was just scheduled for the week commencing after the World Cup final. The World Cup final will be held on the 18th of December, and these Carabao Cup fixtures will be played on the week commencing the 19th, so that'll likely be a Tuesday, Wednesday, possibly a Thursday. Um but that's unlikely. I can't quite remember what day Boxing Day is this year. Boxing Day is a Monday, isn't it? I want to say. But City mm-hmm. aren't on City aren't in action until the twenty seventh, twenty eighth, anyway. So potentially Thursday. So they might have a few days, depending on how, when them fixtures get kind of allotted. But either way, it's a ridiculous time to have a game. But that just shows the ridiculous nature of um, the World Cup and the football this season. Let's um, say it's a really hard one to predict. We have no idea who will be playing and who will be fitting. What the kind of, you know, Guardiola joke today that Klopp and himself will be playing, which that would be, make it very interesting. I'd love to see if Pep could still do it, put his money where his mouth is. But um, it, as we say, it could be an intriguing game because of where it is and who will be playing, and a, but um, a preposterous one that it's being played when it is as well. Yeah, it is. And I don't think Guardiola is happy at all that that is when it's going to be played. But I was sort of looking into it and uh, the EFL won't move it because 
for a few reasons. One, there's no, there's literally no other time to play it because they need to fit in a quarterfinal in the first week or two of January. You've got FA Cup games, you've got FA Cup replays, and then you've got two consecutive weeks at the end of January where it's the semi-finals. So there is literally no alternative but to play this fifth round and you can't then play the quarterfinals if you've not played the fourth round. So I think it's just a case of suck it up and deal with it. Um, I think the EFL are, are also conscious that not every team will have um, a, most of their players at the World Cup. City and Liverpool are probably, of the teams left in the competition, the ones who will be worst affected by that. So it could cancel each other out. Um, as much as it might be an, ad an advantage to get a lower league side, it could also be an advantage to have another side in the same position. And City will have players like Erling Haaland, for example, who should be fit and firing and ready to go. And, and Riyad Mahrez, um, Ortega, we've just been singing his praises, he'll be in goal. Um, and you would expect, I'm, I'm thinking players like Manuel Akanji, he's not going to get to the, the later stages of the World Cup. You, I think there will be options to to bring players in, um, to have enough senior players to to sort of minimise the effects. And, and Liverpool will be in the same boat as well. They've got, you know, Brazilian players. They've got players in the England squad. It's it's. I, I really don't think it will be that much of a changed side compared to what it would be if if every player was fit. We saw the City and Chelsea teams the other day. Both sides made changes anyway, and both sides have used the Carabao Cup to make changes as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I think of, of all the ties they could get, this could actually be, be a bit of a blessing considering all the circumstances because both sides are in exactly the same position. I, I have just seen a list of players that aren't going to the World Cup for Liverpool, which might give them a bit of an advantage. They've not got um, Salah, Robertson, Gomez, Matip, Milner, um, Simicas, um, Firmino, Thiago. They're not going. Um, and then you've got Diaz and Keita who are injured but could be back. So maybe they'll be a bit stronger, but also City will have Erling Haaland, which, I don't, yeah, I, I really don't think it's going to be that much, that as big an issue as, as hmm. Guardiola and, and Co are making up. Yeah, of course. It's just kind of the ridiculousness of how the fixtures look when the, you know, yeah. there's three days. Well, that's the World Cup final, lads. Usually you'd be like, oh, summer <laughs> holidays now, no football. Oh, no, we've got a Carabao Cup game two days later. But, you know, the, the relentless nature of football rumbles ever on. And, you know, as we said, the World Cup squads have nearly all been announced at this point. Have Belgium dropped theirs yet? I don't think I've seen Belgium. Yeah, they yeah. have. De Bruyne are in. Um, the teams have got till the 14th, Monday, to submit. I think Tunisia are one of the teams who haven't really submitted theirs yet, but that's of no concern to say. <laughs> um, City, of course, have plenty of representatives um, going to the World Cup. Um, was it like 18 or so, I believe? 16 it is in 16. total. So, as I say, I say plenty of players, pretty much all the first team squad, apart from the likes of Gomez, Ortega, and Haaland, as we say. And then, um, but the two most notable, of course, is that Calvin Phillips and Kyle Walker both made the England squad. We speculated about it, we kind of doubted if Phillips would go, but he did. Gareth Southgate kind of explained that the complete lack of depth in defensive midfield positions is why he's gone. He, he basically said Rice, and, Rice is a defensive midfielder, but he's like a third centre back. Henderson can do it, but it's not his best position. And then Phillips is the only other option available to him. And I think he's right. So that's why Phillips has gone, even though he, you know, he's come back. He's now played 40 minutes against Chelsea. Um, he'll be in the squad to play against Fulham. Um, it's Fulham Brentford. Why do United City have to both be playing two teams within two miles of each other on the same <laughs> weekend? It's probably been confusing me all week. 
Um, but he'll be in the squad there, maybe get a few more minutes. But he has only played 54 minutes in total so far this season, uh, not including that Barcelona friendly in which the shoulder injury was kind of um, re re-injured. And then Walker comes in, still not available to play against Brentford, but Southgate said that he would likely, he basically said he wouldn't pick him if he wasn't going to be available for the group stage, because that's why Reese James hasn't gone. So you'd like to think Walker isn't too far away now. Um, as, we, as we said, it's a massive boost for both of them. It's massive boost for England, Walker especially. Um, and it's great for them that they're going to be able to go to a World Cup. You'd, like, you'd imagine Calvin Phillips, especially like, it might have been now or never for him, given the kind of talent coming through with England. Obviously, Jude Bellingham um, is probably going to start, but he gets to go after such a massive um, contribution to the Euros that no one saw coming. But while it could go well for City, it could go both and go and have good World Cups, come back fit and healthy and ready to go. There is obviously the concern that such intense games, an intense schedule going to lead to fatigue, going to lead to injuries to any City player or any at the World Cup or any player from any team at the World Cup. But these two, having just not played an awful lot in the last couple of months, leaves them particularly vulnerable to um, niggly, niggly injuries. Yeah, I think it makes sense. I think both of them make sense. and I, We've not seen anyone particularly annoyed that Phillips is going. Um, I think we know how well he plays for England. He plays sort of a a role that no one else can, as as Gareth Southgate says. I don't think he'll start just because of his fitness, but if England are winning a game and need to sort of see it out, he could be quite a useful player to bring on. He looked a little bit rusty, as you would completely expect when he came on against Chelsea, but after a few sort of misplaced passes, he he was sort of throwing himself into tackles, which is probably more important than anything else. He's, I, th- I think he can be quite a, a different option for for England and if he can use sort of the group stages to come off the bench and get some minutes then who knows in the um in the last 16 and and potentially going forward he might be quite a, a good option against maybe a higher quality opposition depending on who England play in in those knockouts um Walker again I, I can completely see why why he's going he's experienced he can allow England to play that three at the back if they want to um or he can play as a just a very good right back um and that would then allow Kieran Trippier to move over to the left if because there is only one left back going um it both both make complete sense to me if they are fit even in sort of partial capacities for for the group stages um i can see i can see why he's gone with them and i think just in general the whole squad normally there's one or two players where you think oh why hasn't he taken him or why is this person in the squad i think almost all of them have been pretty much accepted by by England fans, which is quite refreshing. I'm sure the conversation will move on to why isn't James Madison starting rather than uh, just going on the plane. But yeah, we can't really complain at the moment, can we? No, absolutely. He's this year's Grealish without a doubt. Yeah, um, yeah as I say, like, what are your thoughts on the overall squad? I'm with you. The, I think only two minor changes I could see. I think Gallagher, Ward-Prowse, much of a muchness, neither are going to play, you'd like to think anyway. I... Madison's free kick delivery kind of cancels out why you'd take Ward Pros a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I just feel like Ward Pros a bit more experienced of a player. I'd say he's probably in better form than Gallagher as well, who's been in and out of that Chelsea team. Much of a muchness, it doesn't really matter. I probably would have gone Ward Pros, I think, but you can't really moan too much about Gallagher. A bit more um, a youthful wildcard, more, definitely more goals from open play from him. And then the centre-back situation, I think um, 
Eric Dyer is probably a bit lucky to be there, but I'm guessing his versatility, who another backup for that defensive midfield position if absolutely necessary and can play in a back three or a back four, score penalties in penalty shootouts, of course, as well, <laughs> lest we forget. That's probably got him in ahead of Tamori, who's not played much, or anyone else people are calling for. Like, you, I mean, Lewis Duncan, the like, a Tarkowski <laughs> would never go in, but those are the sort of calls uh, people get in. I, they're maybe the only two contentious ones for me. Kind of, Connor Cody just goes because he's the cheerleader pick. <laughs> I think I think the I think the the um kind of team spirit aspect of a squad kind of gets overlooked. You especially in a place like Qatar when it seems like there's absolutely nothing to do. Then we're gonna be long days in hotels before games and they're gonna be boring. Sometimes characters and team synergy and um camaraderie is really important. And a player who regardless of Cody's not gonna play unless absolute calamity happens on the injury front. A player that offers so much off the pitch, it's probably worth the sacrifice of not taking someone slightly better just because of what he brings and his kind of relationship in the squad. So for me, yeah, no, no complaints whatsoever. Um, pretty much exactly what you've said. Um, Ward Prowse for, for um, Gallagher is the only one, but I'd not even thought of Madison as an alternative set piece person. So, yeah, the, the argument goes there, and he maybe wants to take Gallagher as sort of an option for the future and include him in in the squad looking forward because he's probably going to be in the England squad far longer than uh, Ward Prowse is. Um, but yeah, on form, maybe Ward Prowse is a little bit better. Um, he, did he go to the the Euros, but he didn't play, or was he? He wasn't taken in the final squad, was he? Who's that, sir? Ward Prowse in the no, I think he was on the list, wasn't he? And yeah. didn't quite make it in the end with Lingard because it was like there was the uh, contender was the list one, yeah. for ages, wasn't there? But again, he he wouldn't have played anyway, so no. it's not too much of a a, a complaint. Yeah, in defence, exact for exactly the reasons you say, I'd have taken Tarkovsky because I think he's in form. Um, I'm a little bit biased because I saw him come through the ranks at Oldham and have uh, followed his career and I would have loved to have said, said that Oldham provided a, a World Cup player but uh, we'll have to wait for that probably for a few more years now um, <laughs> uh, if ever um, but yeah when you were explaining about Dyer, I think I agree he can play in a back three as well and, and that probably gives him an edge so can Cody can play yeah. in a back two and a back, back three so um, yeah no, honestly no complaints and the fact that we're not talking about players like Jaden Sancho shows yeah. how much they've fallen. And uh, yeah, there's a few players from that Euro squad that Tyrone Mings was playing in the group stage of the Euros and now he's nowhere near. So um, yeah, I, I, I don't think that Southgate could have done much, much different there. I think the only other kind of maybe contentious one was the striker to be there if Kane is injured. Yeah. And even though Rashford is going to be the striker if Kane's injured anyway, that second out and out centre forward. I think his reasoning was spot on. Like his, his form may matter more than ever in this World Cup due to the nature of going straight into it. There's no build-up, no kind of pre-World Cup friendlies to get used to everything. Wilson is the informed striker out of the three. I think if the injury situation in midfield and in defence wasn't what it was, he obviously has to, with Walker's injury and um, Phillips's unfitness, he's probably had to take Gallagher as another midfield option just in case and, and maybe another kind of fallback just in case them injuries and you know don't go perfectly as we hope they do, which has probably sacrificed a third striker going. I think Ivan Tony would have been a really interesting one to take, if nothing else, just for his um, stone cold uh, nature <laughs> from the penalty spot. He's, I don't think he's 
missed in 26 or something like that. And as Thomas, but Frank you know what would have happened there? They'd have brought him on for a penalty yep. shootout, and he would have missed his first shot in ages. It's you can't absolutely. take a, a player just for penalties because no. we, we've seen what happens there. No, I'm absolutely with you. So I'd say good England squad for me. No, um. No outcries this time for once, which is a, a nice change, even though I think there might have been a riot if Madison didn't get in. Um, I'm a bit iffy on that one. He's been in great form, to be fair, so if he deserves it. It's not like anyone has missed out who's better, I don't think, but as you've just already touched on, he's not going to play. Uh-oh, he's definitely <laughs> not going to start, so do not get your um, panties in a twist when that happens. He's going to come on when we're... 1-0 down in the quarterfinal. He's going to come on with, like, Foden and Al Grealish. They're all going to come out at the same time. And hopefully he'll do something. But don't don't go into it thinking he's going to suddenly build the team around him because that's not going to happen. I, you know, we'll, we'll do a bit more of a World Cup preview next week on because uh, we love the World Cup despite um, all of its shortcomings this time around. Um, but I see England going Kane, Sterling and Saka, personally, in that attacking, that attacking three. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to see Foden, and I think if, if Grealish plays like he did against um, Chelsea, then I think he could be a real asset and something different. Um, Sterling is always good for England, but hasn't been that good this season. Didn't play particularly well off the bench. Um, I think Foden and Grealish are maybe ahead of Mason Mount at the moment, but I, th- I, I imagine he will use the group stages, especially against Iran and, and USA. You would hope that they were then qualified before they play Wales. You can rotate and just try them all out and see how they're playing and who's fittest and uh, you know try some different systems out. I think that will be the way forward um, with all those sort of attacking midfielders. And yeah, who knows? Maybe maybe a leaving rest or take off Harry Kane with a few minutes to go in each game to to, to bring on Callum Wilson. But then you can have players like Sterling and, and Foden, as we've seen. For City playing through the middle, so I, th- I think he's got a lot of options, a lot of versatility, which could be quite useful. But it, it, yeah, it'll be interesting to see the balance he goes between mm. that versatility, versatility, and also we know he likes to have a, a settled lineup at the same time. So no, it'll be, it'll be interesting. I think there's a lot of options um, and a lot of players with different qualities, which we haven't often seen for England sides mm. in the past. It's often been like for like changes, but there's, I think there's a lot of different different shapes, different systems that can be used this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're spot on there. A lot of different different solutions to different problems, I think it's like the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. A lot of good um, a lot of good and different forwards, but you know, I think everyone needs to be prepared now. That Iran game is not going to be good. Um, Carlos Queiroz <laughs> is in charge of Iran. It's going to be 10 men in the box, and it's going to be one of those where England, if they don't score early, it's going to be one of them where they absolutely slog to kind of break the team down. Hopefully it doesn't go for a back three in that, or it'll be even worse. Fingers crossed. But as I say, we'll uh, touch more on the World Cup completely next week. Maybe we'll even do a dedicated World Cup podcast because, as I say, it is. it doesn't feel like it. The excitement is nowhere near as exciting when it's going dark at half four and there's a World Cup coming. It's not how it should be, but we'll try and try and get that um, excitement going anyway. Of course, we'll, we'll be keeping on um, the Talkie City podcast over the World Cup when our work schedules allow as well um, to see how City players are doing and kind of talk about the tournament. But... That's still just over a week away. And until then, City do have a final Premier League game to contend with, as we've discussed. They'll face Brentford at the Etihad on Saturday afternoon, the early kickoff. You were at Guardiola's press conference today. Any hints on Haaland's availability? I think you've kind of already said that he's unlikely to start. But how's Pep kind of feeling ahead of the final game of the first half of the season? 
all he said on Haaland was that he's feeling a little better. And as he always says, um, they're training later today, so we'll, we'll see. So he's not giving anything away there. Um, when I say I don't think he'll start, I just think if he's not fully fit, then I don't think he's a player that you risk, even though he's not going to the World Cup. Um, and you've got a player like Julian Alves who's in good form against a side who are very good in Brentford, um, were very hard to beat last season, but City should should still be looking at, at three points. Um, it will be... I mean, if you look at the, the selection against Chelsea, you had players like De Bruyne and Stones, Anake, and Bernardo, Foden, Akanji, all on the bench. Theoretically, they could all come in, um, especially in defence. We seem to have seen Diaz and Laporte, who are now second choice um, in in the sort of back line, which shows just how well Ake and Stones have done this season. Um, but then it, I think Guardiola has also said, yes, it's understandable that people are looking forward to the World Cup, but also don't look forward to the World Cup because we need to win. And he's not going to make any sort of selection decisions based on that. He will only be looking to beat Brentford and then after they play Brentford, then go to the World Cup and focus fully on that. But before that, we need you for, for this game. Um, so, yeah, I, I will, I'd, I'd expect strong. I would expect the players who didn't play on on Wednesday to come back in. But if the game's won, then, it, you know, we'll be able to make changes and and uh, and the like. And I think the, the important thing is what he wasn't able to do against Fulham is keep 10 men, <laughs> keep, ten, uh, keep 11 men, sorry, keep 11 men on the field. Don't, no silly mistakes like Cancelo did last time. Um, and see what happens. I think obviously Cancelo will come back. Laporte limped off a little bit against um, against Chelsea. He looked a bit uncomfortable a couple of times in the first half. Was a couple of times he was just saying to players, "Just slow it down. Let me just recover." And then he went off towards the end. Guardiola said it was a precaution, so he might not play. It would seem silly to risk him, especially as he's just been included in the Spain squad. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. I would expect the defense to look potentially four different faces. Um, Rodri would probably start, De Bruyne probably, um, maybe Foden comes back, but then Foden hasn't played a lot of league games recently. It's, uh, yeah, a lot of decisions, but um, I, again, I don't think City should struggle to beat Brentford. Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, Brentford are 11th in the table. They're kind of becoming um, household features of the Premier League after a year here, but no winning four. So you'd like, you know, City, as you say, City did beat them twice last year, but they were by no means um, easy games. They were only narrow wins, 1-0 and 2-0. Um, I, I know Guardiola was asked about this a few weeks ago, and when he, he, he was asked, like, um, is there any concern that players, like, basically paraphrasing, won't, you know, take it a bit easy ahead of the World Cup, don't want to get injured? And he was kind of really bullish in his reply. Basically said, I'll be able to smell it if they um, kind of want to take it easy and they won't play as a result. Now, I'm sure no none of City's players, I'm sure no player... Well, maybe a few. Um, I've got to take it easy. But there must be in so many of their minds of last game, if I get injured now, you, no matter even the slightest knock, pretty much, you're going to miss potentially miss the World Cup, especially now the squads are picked and whatnot. It's a really difficult position for our players to be in. Now, I presume Brentford are kind of giving half of Denmark their squad. But apart <laughs> from that, I don't know if they have many. Obviously, Tony missed out. I don't know if they have many kind of players going out. Is there... Is there a kind of chance that with Brentford potentially not having as many players heading off to the World Cup, where most of City starting eleven likely will be? Is there? A, I'm not kind of accusing the players that they'll do this on purpose, but would it be like a subconscious? Just Brentford will just be up for it a bit more 
because of the scenario. Do you reckon there's a, a fear of that? And I can imagine it, a lot of you know a lot of managers will be of the similar sort of teams will be having this concern um, this weekend. It's a, it's a really peculiar situation, a unique one that we've never seen and hopefully never will do before. Do, do you think there's any concern there for City, or do you reckon just that they'll be good enough to kind of get around it anyway with any luck? Yeah, I, th- I think Guardiola said, didn't he? He said, if we don't beat Brentford, it's not going to affect the Premier League title because we've got so many games left. But it will, if a player then gets injured, it will reduce their availability for the World Cup. And as much as he doesn't like the fact that the World Cup is scheduled at this time of year and all the fixture complications that brings, he knows that to represent your country at a World Cup is so big. So maybe he could use that to his advantage. Maybe we could see... Uh, players like um, Sergio Gomez and Riyad Mahrez and Cole Palmer even at least play a bit off the bench just to reduce that chance of players looking towards the World Cup. And as much as he said that previously, that he will smell those players who are looking unnecessarily towards the World Cup, he also said, yes, we understand that, um, of course, you're going to look to it. I, I didn't see anyone, and I, I think Guardiola said this, I don't. no one had was sort of pulling out the tackles the other day against Chelsea. Um, I'm just looking now, there's footage of Erling Haaland training um, today, so that's positive for City. Um, he might, he could start. As much as I'm saying Alves could and should start, then Haaland is a player who won't be looking towards the World Cup. He'll be looking to get back fit. I think, as I say, Norway has these friendlies. Maybe Haaland starts and, um, and plays the majority of the game. That could be a way around it, but also... I think Guardiola um, has also been quite clear that play play for City, try and get these final three points that you can, and then go to to the World Cup and and we'll deal with anything that happens after. I'd, yeah, I th- it will be part of his um, thinking, but I don't think he will drop anyone just because they're looking towards the World Cup or to save them for the World Cup, if you like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't think Guardiola has much concern about mm-hmm. the. Uh, I'm sure he wants all his players to go and you know uh, uh, such a momentous occasion represent the countries, but I don't think he has any sympathy for the World Cup competition in itself or any mm-hmm. kind of national team if they lose players. I'm sure all he's all he's only concerned with Man City in that regard. But can I get a score prediction from you? Um, I think just because it's the final game before, I think it'd be quite close. Um, I think two one City. Okay, I will go two 0 Maybe we should uh, maybe we should keep track of these predictions one day, and we'll we'll find out how good or bad, and most probably bad, we've been. <laughs> but maybe that's the time for the the World Cup bull period. As I mentioned earlier, we will be, um every now and then uh, come back through a city podcast during the World Cup. I'm um, you know we are enterprising people who have moved to book some portions of the World Cup off work so it may well depend on when we are available but hopefully there'll be enough people around to come and talk about the World Cup and Man City's players participation in it but before then we'll be back next week um, early on in the week to dissect the Brentford game and then maybe we'll have a little uh, a separate pod for all the World Cup and all its glory because there is uh, you know um, despite all of its uh, obvious problems There's some exciting-looking teams, some really juicy-looking squads, some exciting fixtures. And as long as the um, desert heat conditions don't affect it too much, it should be with any luck. And, you know, the the obvious uh, problems with it being halfway through a season and fatigue and whatnot, with any luck, it should lead to some uh, uh, great football that we can hopefully celebrate despite um, uh, other problems with the World (laughs) Cup. But 
we'll come to that next week. Until then, everyone, thank you very much for listening to the Talking City podcast. You can, of course, get all of our coverage of the World Cup and City's players' involvement in it and uh, Saturday's game against Brentford over on ManchesterEveningNews.co.uk forward slash Manchester City. Our Twitter page is at Man City MEN. Our Facebook page is Manchester Evening News dash Manchester City. You can follow myself on Twitter at Dan Murphy MEN and you can follow Joe on Twitter at underscore Joe Bray. Of course, don't forget us all there. Thanks again very much for listening to the Talking City podcast. We'll be back next week. Until then, it's around.